Howard Beck joins the podcast. We're going to talk about whether the Celtics can take anything from this series against the Hawks and apply it as they move forward. We'll talk about Derek White. And of course, we'll dump on Trey Young a little bit. It's all right now in the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Be ever ready. Recognize the city of champions. Boston, baby, we do what you can. Locked on number 18, Tatum and Brown, J-team, step back. We gon' wet that and slay teams. Of course, the Celtics, who else could it be? Screaming like KG with the Larry O'B. Corrales above average, assessing the team status. Best daily pod, no cap, salary matching. Clutch like Bird to DJ, keep John on replay. Primetime, gapping up the truth on the sideline. Rain and Jays, how it started, raising banners, how we finished. Locked on Celtics, pod, home of the winners. B. Hey, welcome back to the Lockdown Celtics Podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network where it's your team every day. And I'm here for you every day with a free, fresh podcast dropped directly to your device if you're a subscriber. So make sure you are subscribed on any app you decide to use, whichever app, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever one you want. It's there. It's also on YouTube, so you can come watch the show, hop into the comment section, join the conversation. I'm John Corrales. I used to play ball once upon a time. Now I cover the Celtics for Boston Sports Journal, and I've written a book called the Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. Today on the show, Howard Beck, who uh, you might have heard in all the national podcasts, ESPN's podcasts, all of them, uh, he joins the show to talk about games one and two, kind of big picture stuff. Later on, we'll talk about the, the role players. We'll talk about whether the Celtics want to see Golden State. Whether the Celtics want to see the Lakers, talk about all of that. We get into a Derek White conversation, and we uh, start with the big picture. All right, well, what can what can the Celtics take out of this Hawk series? There's really not much to take. Uh, by the way, tomorrow's show, I'll do a mailbag. Let's do a mailbag tomorrow. Let's wrap it up with a mailbag. Send your questions into johncorrales.com/mailbag. Johncorrales.com/mailbag. Get your questions in. I'll answer them tomorrow. So that's how we'll wrap up the week. And then Friday night will obviously be a post-game podcast after game three. So let's get into our conversation here with Howard Beck. It is a big day for us here. Howard Beck, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining the podcast. <laughs> doing well. Thanks for the uh, the kind welcome, John. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I will say that uh, I, I'm not going to say this is exactly why you're on the, this podcast and doing the Lockdown podcast, but I will, uh, I'm not, not saying it as soon as Zach Lowe stopped using niche podcasting as part of his intro <laughs> to you, you were like, you know what? No, I got to be part of niche podcasting. So let's drill it down. Let's go to the teams. You're pretty soon we'll do like, like player podcasts about individual players, not like player podcast. <laughs> we're just going to do like locked on Derek white, just a whole <laughs> podcast about Derek white. And you'll be, ne- that's your next Hi- hyper niche podcasting. Hyper-niche. Just drill uh, it. All the way down. How how far away are we from that becoming the reality, right? Where it's just, and welcome to your daily dose of Marcus yeah. Smart. Like I'm telling I, you. That, that's a little frightening. I mean, at some point, so there, like the, the demand is there somehow, right? We've had like LeBron Wire USA Today. We've done, like ESPN has done an entire LeBron. Why not? Why not LeBron, have, ESPN, yeah, yeah. why not have a, a podcast directly dedicated to I'm, i did i just stumble onto an idea did i just stumble onto my million dollar idea you should, i gotta pitch you, you this should, you, you should uh, uh build it out and send it to david Locke, 
and and this would be your own little fiefdom within the Locked On Network. Lock lock locked on uh fill in the blank player name goes here. Lock lock yeah. locked on lo- locked on minutia. The locked on minutia network. <laughs> I'd say I any it. idea before my second cup of coffee is null and void. I <laughs> I, I re- reserve the right to reject my my own ideas. All right, let's talk about the team. Let's talk about this Celtics team. Um I'd let's let's start with the biggest question I have. After two games, Howard, does it look like the Hawks have any chance of doing anything in this series more than winning an outlier shooting game? No. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, nothing. Nothing has happened to change my perceptions going in, which was. I, I, I got put on the spot on NBA radio recently. Uh, I was co-hosting with Brian Geltziler before, I think it was the morning the playoffs were starting. I think, yeah, so last Saturday morning. And I got last minute, hey, let's predict all the series. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, and I hadn't I hadn't done the exercise yet. So I was just madly penciling it all out. And I said Celtics in four, but I also had like Sixers in five. And immediately, uh, some cranky Hawks fan was like, uh, "How come you're giving the Nets one game and you're not giving the Hawks any?" And, you know, well, the Celtics, the Celtics are a lot better than the Sixers, and uh, the Nets are, if not as as high on the talent high end of the, the talent spectrum, um, just better overall depth, and they play some deal. Like, I, why am I justifying this now today, John? I don't know. I'm just saying as a point of <laughs> reference. The I think the only series that I decided on the fly to predict as a sweep was was Celtics Hawks, and. Look, a lot of that is just because I find the Hawks maddening. Maybe I'm taking it out on them a little bit. Um, they're a team that has underachieved to my eye the last two seasons um, in the abstract. And this happens in the NBA, right? The talent doesn't always equal success. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't always translate. The, a team is not always the better than the sum of its parts. It, it, it These things happen. Chemistry matters. The fit matters. Uh, whether your star, your whether your, your, your franchise star actually you know, in, engenders some feelings of, of, uh, camaraderie from his teammates also matters <laughs> might be an issue in Atlanta. It might. Sure. Um, and so all these things, you know, we know they don't defend well. We know that, um, for a team that has, uh, DeJounte Murray, who's become a decent three point shooter and a team with Trey young, who's supposed to be a great three point shooter. Like they don't really shoot a lot of threes or make a lot of threes. Um, they're shooting more, I believe under Quinn Snyder than they were, uh, under Nate McMillan. If mm-hmm. I recall. Um, but they're not, they just, don't seem to have that um whatever that 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 uh magical element is that binds a team together and it's not that they don't have some talent and some and some guys who can defend and some guys who can shoot it just the fit isn't there and and i i just if i if i don't trust the team's chemistry if i don't if, if i'm looking at you and saying like you're per- perpetually underachieving um then yeah. And besides that, the Celtics, I think, are really that good. I know that there were some doubts about them along the way, you know, and some some spots where it looked like things were kind of coming mm-hmm. apart for a time here and there. Um I I I never thought this would be uh, much of a series. I, I just want to let you know this is a safe space. You can you can <laughs> you can go a little more all in on Trey Young if you want. Because <laughs> Hawks fans aren't funny. listening. I mean, at this point, I don't think any of them are even hate listening. They're they're just kind of resigned. Uh, they're, but, they're all listening to locked on Trey. That's right. <laughs> their daily dose of Trey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wanted to make a Trey young joke there, but again, 
I haven't had my second cup of coffee. It's just sitting right here in front of me, and I haven't had. So I'll uh, I'll dub that in later. Uh, but but we've I've been in agreement with the player poll that came out in the Athletic that Trey Young's the most overrated player in the league. I. I know what he's done. I know what he's capable of, but I also know what he's doing. I see the numbers. I see him against no matter who it is. He can't even torch Sam Hauser in these games. And and to Sam's credit, and I said it in my podcast yesterday, he's been playing passable defense, and, and that allows him to stay on the floor in games like this and allows the Celtics to just kind of keep Grant Williams in mothballs until they need him against Philly and Milwaukee. I mean, Trey Young is supposed to win that matchup. Yeah. He's supposed to win. You know, he's supposed to at least play even against Derek White. And Derek White has been roasting everybody. So I all of this is to say Trey Young is is a, a real disappointment. And a couple of seasons ago, when he said, I'm bored with the regular season in not so many words, I was like, you know what? I'm out on this guy because you made one run to the finals. It was kind of a fluky run. And you now you're not ready to put in the work that take that it takes to get back there. No wonder the Hawks have been disappointing the past two years. That aside, um, no, it's an alarming thing from a young star. That's an alarming absolutely. thing to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm in agreement. I'm I'm glad that someone who's not as close to the team kind of feels the same way. I just don't think the matchup is right. So, I guess the other big picture question I have is: after this is done in four or five. Is there anything the Celtics can take out of a series like this and and move forward? Or, or is a series like this almost detrimental when you're getting ready to face the Sixers and presumably the Bucks? Much more with Howard Beck coming up here, uh, including the Derek White conversation and later on conversations about the future, the role players and all of that. First, let's talk about eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure Every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits just right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit. Or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride! Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, that's an interesting question, John. Like, Detrimental might be a stretch even for me. And I I say even for me because I I, kind of like... um, I like playing out those kind of 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 um, you know re- kind of just reversing the framework a little bit. So like I I, I appreciate the thought process there, it, it, and also in part because listen, let's face it, the NBA, especially ever since they went to best of seven in the first round back in like two thousand two three, whenever they made the switch, there really is very little suspense in the first round when it's ones and eights, twos and sevens. Like yeah. those matchups are are are, are they're 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 fait accompli and and it's frustrating to me because i feel like um if if we're gonna go through the exercise if we're gonna have you know, i you, i understand why 16 teams make the playoffs <laughs> i understand why we have a best of seven first round i understand that money is is the the uh, right. end results of all this it's or is the influence on all of this um 
the playoffs are supposed to be a testing ground. They're supposed to actually uh, be an exercise in which you, you have at least some belief that the outcome could go either way. And you just don't have it. You know, the three, six, maybe occasionally is an upset. The four, five is not even an upset if a five upsets a four, but you have very, very rarely you have suspense. And I understand I'm saying this in a year where we have a lot of suspense in the West, right? The West is weird this year um, because the Lakers could upset the Grizzlies. And initially I thought the, the Warriors could upset the Kings and they're imploding. And actually I wanted to ask you something about that in a second um, <laughs> related back to the Celtics. Um, and yeah, the Nuggets are probably getting through, but that's the thing. Like the the one eights in particular, and the, often the two sevens, just feel like there is no suspense whatsoever. Is it detrimental? Is a step beyond where where I would normally go. I don't think so. If you get, you know, obviously injury, that could be a detriment. Sure. Is it going to get you out of rhythm? I don't think so. Is it going to make you feel? Are you, you going to get softer around the edges because your first round opponent was too easy? Nah, I I don't think there's much evidence of that over the course of years, but I think it's actually, it's, it's actually worth thinking about. I, I wonder what coaches would say who have had rollover first rounds with teams that had the highest aspirations, right? When you, when you're a team like the Celtics, it's been to the finals and you're coming back the next year and you're starting your postseason run with a, a walkover. Would you rather, would you be better off with a, a bye week? I kind of think not. I, I think if nothing else, you can fine tune some things. Um, you don't have to expend quite as much energy, probably. Um, so I think, you know, look, get in the rhythm, stay healthy, maybe test out a couple things along the way and, and, and try to draw something positive out of it in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I always compare it, the regular listeners know what, what I'm about to say, to the, you know, you're seeing a junk ball pitcher for seven innings, and all of a sudden, in the eighth inning, a fireballer comes out of the bullpen, and that first fastball looks like it's 125 miles an hour, and you're like, what What am I swinging at? Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't have an impact. Maybe it's just the first quarter of the next game, and you realize you got to snap back into it. Or maybe, it's, maybe there's none, but it just feels like when... And, and maybe it's just situational. Maybe it's just because the Celtics have shown this propensity for playing down and for getting comfortable. And the worst place for this Celtics team to be is comfortable because that's when they slip. And yeah. and maybe that's this that's just a human nature thing for anyone. Whenever you're the most comfortable, that's when you you aren't on guard. And you know, I, I call it I call it burnt pizza games because when I was when I was growing up, I grew up in my dad's pizza place. And when it was busy, you never forgot a pizza in the oven. But when somebody called at 2.30 and was the only pizza going on, you put it in, then you go start cleaning up. And next thing you know, person comes in 25 minutes later and you're like, oh, I have a hockey puck in the oven for you. Let me make a new one for you and give it away for you. So that's, that's my, these are like my like pizza type of games where yeah. I feel like there's the Celtics, you get too comfortable. So yeah. I, I'd like, this is why I liked game two, actually, because it, unlike game one, they didn't have that 30-point halftime lead. They had to work for a 20-point yeah. lead, and the Hawks made a run. DeJounte Murray was was hot, and DeAndre Hunter got hot, and, and, and guys, like the Hawks made a run like an NBA team is supposed to, and the, the Celtics had to keep grinding and keep making plays and rebuild a 22-point lead. And, and you know, you see Tatum making that cross-court pass to Horford and reading the play and, and understanding all of that. That's not something that was done in the second half, really, of game one. So, that kind of is is to my point of the Celtics being engaged versus kind of coasting through. Okay, so I, I've no doubt in my mind that um, 
the Celtics are fully focused on the Hawks, but I also have no doubt in my mind that they have some members of their staff who are focusing on the Sixers, right. And sure. getting ready for that. Um, so it, you know, you, they can, they can plan while still concentrating on the task at hand at that level. Um, the players, obviously you're just immersed in it. I think a Celtic, I think a team like the Celtics that has been together for a while and that has been on deep playoff runs multiple times and most recently just went to the finals less than a year ago, I would have less concern about the idea that they're being lulled into some sense of complacency, right? And I understand, like, this is a team that has been prone to some complacency in-game with too big of a lead. But that happens to almost every dominant team. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't I don't know that they're any more or less guilty of that than other powerhouses I've seen over the years. Um, but since we're since we're skipping ahead, this is sure. a question I wanted to ask you. Let me, oh, skip, okay. ahead. Let me skip way ahead. Skip way ahead, okay. Um, because you, you're, you're in Boston and I'm not, and, and you have a Boston Celtics, uh, niche podcast, uh, <laughs> that in, in, in which you were, you were far more in touch with, uh, the vibe of, of Celtics fans. So I, I'm curious if you have a sense of this, do Celtics fans, are they enjoying some sense of uh, whether, I don't know, Schadenfreude is the, the wrong term for this. Are they enjoying the Warriors immolating, self-immolating right now down, <laughs> o, down O2, Draymond suspended for game three, or do Celtics? I forget what the Celtics want. Who cares what the players and the team want? Do would Celtics fans rather see the Warriors back in the finals so that you can beat the defending champs? Um, and actually, to that extent, like I, I wonder if the Celtics themselves, like, is there any sense in Boston of uh, enjoying the uh, self-immolation of the Warriors? I, you know, look, I think I think one thing Boston enjoys is dream on green imploding. So um, <laughs> I think I think That's there's some right. some level of that for sure. I don't think people have looked that far ahead as far as just the general fandom because there 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 just is a little bit more concern about all right getting through to where you want to get through at this at this point. I think I really do think the Celtics blowing leads has has crept so deep into people's consciousness hmm. that they're just more worried about okay, it's almost like they're on edge. It's 2-0. Let's got to make sure you get that game three. You don't want to give them any sense of life or anything like that. So I, I, but, but I think it would be split between wanting golden state saying, Hey, we owe them something. And if it was golden state, I think there'd be some level of like, all right, yeah, let's, let's, let's put those guys away. But at this point, I think the Celtics fans are just more like, Hey, whoever, whoever, I think, I think honestly, everybody's been conditioned to believe that. Milwaukee is the biggest threat and Milwaukee is kind of the NBA finals. And so I think, I think there's this general feeling of Hawks are no threat. Celtics have every matchup advantage for the most part, except for Embiid. And even then they're the best matchup against Embiid. So they feel really good about Philly. Milwaukee is the biggest threat because Giannis, but the Celtics feel really good about that. But that's the one you're really worried about. Because hey, Chris Middleton can be good, and Drew Holiday is really good, and they've got the role players, and that's going to be a real, real battle. And I feel like after that, I think Celtics fans are like, yeah, whoever, whoever it is in the West, play, yeah. play, playoff team X from the West, whatever. Is it Denver? Who cares? Is it the Lakers? Who cares? It's none of those teams feel like as much of a threat as Milwaukee or even Philly. 
So I don't think I don't think anybody's focused on that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. It, it, it's too early for it, but it just it you know when, when the news hit near mid, midnight last night of Draymond being suspended and knowing you and I were talking today, and as I started just kind of cycling through where this postseason is going and and all this other stuff, I did start to think like ah, I wonder if, you know would, would the Celtics rather you know want to see the Warriors again have that rematch? Um, but then you know hey look there's a there's actually a possibility however remote and it seems more possible now than it did a week ago that we could have yet another lakers celtics finals which no like every something everyone loves another version of that right uh so so that's you know that would that would be fun it's been what 13 years since the last one yeah 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 i mean that would be that would be something i i I don't think anybody would ever turn down lakers celtics and one more chance to beat lebron um that i think that's very welcome they still sell like uh, derogatory LeBron James t-shirts outside. There's I'm like shocked. Yeah, right. I'm shocked. <laughs> shocked that's that Boston fans would be selling derogatory shirts of any kind about another team. Right, right. The LeBron <laughs> one is a mainstay. It's there. It's it's been there. It's a, a top seller. So any any LeBron hate, any LeBron oh, any chance to beat LeBron is is very welcome in Boston. <laughs> Let's 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 talk a little bit about Derek White. Yeah, because it's funny. A year ago, you know, at this point, it's what fourteen months ago. He gets traded here. It's a, there's a little bit of a question. I was just going back over uh, a a local blog post from the trade that calls it one of the worst trades in Celtics history, and it's going to be. <laughs> Like, uh, wow. like literally, yeah, I mean, just decimated. This is going to be the worst thing. It's going to fall apart, blah, 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 blah. And now here we are all this time later. His son is almost one year old. He's, he's comfortable. He's confident. And he comes in and I, I think people use the term like game changer a little too freely, but I think in this case it applies because what Derek White is able to do and I have to be careful because I know this is against the Hawks defense and it's going to be different against other teams. But when you pay so much attention to Jason Tatum, which isn't going to change, and you have to pay attention to Jalen Brown, which isn't going to change, there are going to be open lanes for Derek White. And the fact that he is willingly taking those and attacking those and successful at those and making good rim reads and passing out of those when when his his lane to the basket gets shut down, when all of that is happening, and and he's able to have a 26-point game. I think that is a game changer for Boston compared to last year because that's that's one thing they didn't really have in last year's run. Consistently, a second guy that can create, pass, uh, make quick decisions. And I think I think when you look at this year's Celtics team compared to the one that went to the finals last year, Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon. Side note: it, those guys, but Derek White especially after these two games is a a real game changer for the Celtics. It, it is. I mean, when you've got two guys who are as talented as as the Jays are, right? You know you can go into almost every game feeling fairly confident that like we know we can score. We know we have a couple of guys who can do a lot with the ball in their hands. Um but you you can't account for, you know, Tatum had a kind of wonky finals, right? Um those things happen. Um somebody gets a little banged up along the way. Someone's got a really tough defensive matchup and it's taking them out of rhythm. It, it's it's a luxury in today's NBA where we are kind of beyond the super team era, at least for the moment. 
it's a luxury to have a third guy who you can point to and say, you know what? I'm not expecting it every night. He's not going to average 20. But if I need somebody else to go get me 20, 25 points, five assists, um, take on a tough defensive assignment, that you've got that guy. And and Derek White can do that. Malcolm Brogdon can do that. And when they first got brought, like I was really high on the Brogdon pickup. I don't know anybody who wasn't. That was probably, you know, in a lot of ways, a no brainer, um, but a great pickup. And in part because, no, Brogdon's not like some natural scorer, that not the guy you go hand the ball to and just say, just go get us a bucket. But he can. And he can have a 20, 25 point night occasionally. And we've seen it. Um, and, you know, Derek White's shooting has come a, come along a, a long way. Um, I don't. I don't know if you can call it sustainable yet, if it's enough of, of a of a sample size to say like, okay, he's he's now a very reliable three-point shooter. It seems to have kind of come and gone in the course of his career. Um, but having that uh, that third guy, yeah, it's 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 huge. It's it's huge for the way you can set your rotation and what you do when your stars are off the court. Um it, it, there's there's just so many options it gives you. And I think they have now, you know. Getting Brogdon, I thought, was was the solution to that qu- that question. They they now essentially have two of those guys because White and Brogdon both can do a lot of those things. Yeah, I, the rotation part is the big part for me because the Celtics are able to play now two two different ways. I think part of playoff success is taking another team out of what they comfortably do and make them do something uncomfortable. Now the Celtics have two distinct styles of play Derek White has been good enough this season, and because of Robert Williams' surgery that kept him out for the first half of the season, for the most part, the Celtics have been playing five out, and they've gotten comfortable with Derek White, and he's comfortable as a starter. But last year's playoff run involved Robert Williams as a starter, and you go double big, and he had obviously a massive defensive impact, and you can see that massive defensive impact even in game two. But Derek White's been good enough where you can start him in a playoff series and bring Robert Williams off the bench and you're good. You're fine. And that changes the dynamic of what the other team's bench has to face. But also if if you need to plug Rob, Rob back into the starting lineup, they're cool with that. They're, they can change and adapt to the matchup without getting away from something that's uncomfortable. They have two very comfortable ways to play two very distinct, different ways to play. And that I think that's what makes the Celtics probably the championship favorite heading into, you know, into these next rounds, because you want to go big, go big, want to go small, go small, play five out. No problem. Derek White and Al Horford hitting three pointers at like 40 plus percent. Those two things, especially allow the Celtics to kind of morph into, we can pull Clint Capello away from the rim. You got no help. Celtics parade layup points in the paints points in the paint galore uh, against the Hawks. You want to go bigger and stronger and go, you know, shooting. Uh, you, you can do that. It, it just allows the Celtics to do a lot of different things comfortably. There's another element to it, though. I, I agree with all that. There's another element too, which is that you know, in this league, sometimes you're forced to make these trade offs, right? Well, we need to get more shooting in the lineup. So you know, whatever. Let's you know, the, like the Kyle Korver type. We're gonna you know Kyle. Kyle Korver was a better defender than probably given credit for, but I'm, I'm going to use him as the stand-in for this, this argument. You you sometimes lose some defense when you bring in the shooter because you just needed somebody to space the floor. And then sometimes you are going the opposite direction where it's, you know, uh, who's, who's, who's the epitome of the all D no offense, uh, you know, um, 
Oh, uh, um, like, uh, what was his face? Uh, the, the guy in Oklahoma for a while, Rob, yeah, Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, who's that guy yeah. from OKC? <laughs> he was, he was, he was our standard for the for this prototype, right? So there are times you get a guy out there just because you know what we need somebody to go uh, lock down the other guy's top perimeter threat. Um, Tony Allen, Tony Allen. There we go. Tony Allen's the, the best version of this, and. Okay, now I'm giving up something at the other end. I'm giving up spacing, and oh, lo and behold, the Warriors are going to guard Tony Allen with, uh, uh, you know, Bogut, and not actually guard Tony Allen at all. Right. right. So there's these trade-offs you have to make sometimes when you're like, man, we just need some more shooting out there. We just need some more defense. Derek White was already going to be a guy that I think you could look to to say, we need somebody else to deal with. Now, say James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, whoever. We need some length out there. We need a defender out there. And you're now you're not giving up anything at the other end as long as the shooting stands up and and the playmaking and everything else. And so I just think it's, you know, you talk about the lineup versatility, rotation versatility, and different styles of play. I think it's also just a matter of not having to sacrifice some piece of the game um, because you just needed one specific quantity, right? And so having that, you know, this is why we talk about two-way players, you know, like, like yeah. the, why that's valuable, why it's valuable that the Celtics, you know, two stars are in, in, in some measure two-way players themselves is huge as opposed to say <laughs> a Trey Young. <laughs> <laughs> that full circle, full circle. Look at that. Uh, that's, that's, that's a professional bringing it home. <laughs> I, I love that we talked about this team and, and it, it, we didn't really talk about Tatum and oh yeah, Tatum's playmaking—the way he hit Horford or Jalen, his ability to score and hitting mid-range—like that—that is such a given that it's these other things that are going to propel the Celtics to the championship that people here hope that they're going to win. Um, Derek White, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford—those guys—they're the depth in their ability. That—that's going to be where this thing is—is is won. Yeah, and and you know it's funny. Um, you know, Shaq likes to to do his whole thing about the others. When he's on, uh, <laughs> on on TNT, and I've been hearing Shaq talk about the others uh, for uh, for a good twenty six years now, um, having covered those Laker teams back in in the late nineties, early two thousands, um, and that was my first NBA beat. And I, I hate to to bring a like a whole Laker spiel into a Celtics podcast here, but um, but I can edit it all out, so don't worry. About it. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, audience. Um, but no, when you cover a team as opposed to being there as a fan, I think there are different lessons you you feel like you kind of learn um, from proximity. And it was one of the things that I really thought was fascinating about those Laker teams was like everybody thinks about it. Oh, well, they they had two of the best five players in the league. Of course, they won three championships. No, there's no of course. They they got to two of those three finals by the skin of their teeth. Like the in, in 2000, they're in game seven of the Western Conference finals against the Trailblazers and are down 15 points in the fourth quarter. Trailblazers should have won that series. Um, I'm not going to get into uh, officiating controversies and conspiracy theories in 2002, but they went to game seven against the Kings that year. And the Kings had a, a deeper, overall, more talented team. Again, the Lakers had the two best players. That game goes to over, overtime of game seven in the conference finals. Overtime of game seven. And they're on the road. I bring that all up to say that the Lakers are a, a, a bouncer two away from being a one-time champion instead of a three-peat. And Shaq and Kobe were obviously critically important and foundational, but the number of times I saw Robert Ory, again, that King series, you know, Vlade Divac tapping the, the rebound out to Robert Ory at the, at the arc and hitting that big shot. 
Apologies to Kings fans who may be uh, listening, <laughs> listening to a niche Celtics podcast for some reason, and I'm not giving them PTSD. <clears throat> but the the clutch Robert Ory shot, the clutch Derek Fisher shots, uh, Rick Fox's defense, um, all of these things. Like it's role players are really important. Um, some people take offense at Shaq calling them the others. Um, I get what he's saying. It's, it's just a standard another term for for role players. You need high level role players. You need a guy who. You don't ask him to, to average 25 a night, but occasionally he's going to have it. Um, and you need you need guys who are going to you know be willing passers and defenders and, and who don't need the spotlight. All that stuff's important. And so um, that's what I like about the Celtics team a lot. Um, it's they're you know ultimately they're going to either win a championship or not based on on the levels that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown reach, which they've already shown they can reach pretty elite levels. And maybe they'll go a step beyond the next time they get a chance uh, in the finals. Um, and at, at this point, I, I, I agree with you. I think they should probably be the favorites, although, you know, never underestimate the bucks. Um, but whether they win or lose that series, let's, let's project forward that the Celtics are in the finals. I guarantee you a couple of those games are going to come down to like the Derek white game or the Malcolm Brogdon game, maybe mm-hmm. even the Marcus smart game, uh, the Sam Hauser game. I don't know, but there yeah. are, there are plenty of those examples throughout NBA history. And so I think that stuff's critically important. Well, I like that we get to move forward and talk about all this other stuff and just be completely dismissive of the Atlanta Hawks. It's just, <laughs> sorry, Atlanta, just not, just not ready. Just not ready. I don't, I, I, I'm not getting invited on the uh, locked on Hawks. <laughs> soon, I don't think maybe, maybe for the, uh, maybe for the obituary. <laughs> I should be thanking the Hawks. For for winning that playing game against Miami because that I, I was I didn't want to face Miami and I know the Celtics would probably beat Miami pretty easily but considering what happened in Game One against Milwaukee I, I I'm kind of glad that the Hawks did the Celtics a favor so hey there's something to be happy about here for for uh, Celtics fans and the Hawks all right uh, yay, Howard yay, yay play in tournament yeah that's right uh, Howard Beck and your cat. Uh, thanks for uh, stopping by for a few minutes here. Really appreciate it, man. <laughs> thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Great conversation with Howard Beck. Nice to have him on a niche podcast like this. So uh, go follow him on Twitter. Lots of great insights. He's all over the Lockdown Podcast ne- Network right now. So uh, make sure you're checking out all of those shows. We'll definitely have him back when there's actual basketball to talk about in the uh, upcoming series. There's really nothing to break down any further from games one and two, not on the podcast. Anyway, I'll do some stuff on Boston sports journal, but for now, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is what you see is what you get. The Hawks are terrible. I'm sorry. They're just terrible. The Celtics should, should roast them. I'm still giving the Hawks the benefit of the doubt for one outlier shooting game, but Celtics in five at worst. So, Again, tomorrow, mailbag questions. What's your question? Send it to me, johncorrales.com slash mailbag. johncorrales.com slash mailbag for your questions. I will get to as many of them as possible in tomorrow's podcast. And again, Friday night, game three. So I'll have a post-game podcast there. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hop onto the YouTube page. Watch the show on YouTube and uh, get into the comment section. Make sure you're joining the conversation. Whatever you want to say, you can talk to me. You can have a comment about me. Whatever you want, you can do it there. Do it all there. And if you are a regular subscriber, thank you so much. Mwah. Love you. And uh, I hope you share the podcast. Tell your friends. Tell everybody they should be listening to and watching the Lockdown Celtics podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day.